0: Bringing the services to the communities was always appreciated. Then Rhythm of Life took a uh, non-stigmatization or a non-judgmental approach. We didn't point a finger at them like, hey, you are bad. You shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing that. No, we aligned our different programs and projects on ground. And it was always up to them to choose what they think is worth taking up and what is worth living out. So we felt... The final decision has to come from the women as much as we bring different insights and different programmes. So this has often been appreciated. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation.
1: As it is the case almost all over the world, women in Africa, including Uganda, are an economically disadvantaged group. The lack of economic power of these communities, especially among young women, is a major obstacle to long-term development in Uganda. My guest today, in the podcast to restore your faith in humanity, is Harriet Kamashanyu. Harriet is the founder and executive director of Rhythm of Life Kampala. An organization set out to provide healthcare services to sex workers in the Red Light District in Kampala and to educate their daughters. In January 2013, during a field investigation, Harriet and a team of volunteers discovered that Kabalagala has the highest number of sex workers, and 17% of these women are HIV positive. Harriet, you grew up in the Red Light District in Kampala. How is it to grow up there?
0: Yeah, Harriet growing up in a like district, for me, being in such an environment was actually a blessing in disguise. It was fun, but also mind and eye awakening to the realities of what it means to be a sex worker, to be a daughter of a sex worker, or to live in this kind of environment, and also the exposure to the realities of what they have to go through day in and day out. So yeah, it was fun, but it was also kind of inspiring and, um, you know, insightful in the next path that if I'm given an opportunity of doing something, what basically can I do given my background growing up in such an environment?
1: Growing up in a suburb next to a red light district gave you the opportunity to witness prostitution in practice. What is it like? Are there certain situations that often come back to your memory?
0: Ah, uh, yeah, situations that often come back to my memory are several. And uh, I think for me the aha moment was uh, this particular friend of mine that was called breasted. You know, we used to go to school with her or with them, several daughters of commercial sex workers. And yeah, time came and she could not come to school anymore. And when I followed through, she had lost her mom who was HIV positive. She could not access this health care anywhere else. And after she died this first daughter of hers had to follow into her footsteps to be able to take care of the other five siblings that the mother had left behind. So for me, Rester's memory still remains fresh in my mind. And it kept me wondering, even, you know, at that tender age or with that young mind, I was wondering how best can I be of help? How best can I change the situation? I wanted to see someone I would go to school with and maybe graduate with and even have different career paths with. But here I am. I'm still continuing with school. And she has dropped out and she has joined the sex work industry. So for me, that is the memory that I still carry on. And Resta is not alone. There are so many, several of them that I watched follow the same path into sex work.
1: Rhythm of Life aims to empower the HIV-positive female sex workers and their daughters through providing healthcare, accessibility and economic help. Harriet, how did you come up with the idea of Rhythm of Life?
0: um yeah i love the questions so often i've been asked how i came up with the idea of rhythm of life uh rhythm of life is a reflection of where i grew up from i mean i grew up in Kabalagala, the biggest red district in uganda and yes the number one question that uh if i was asked what would you love to change about the world or what would you love to fix in the world automatically i'd love to start with the world that i knew and the world that i knew was the world of sex work or the community of the red light districts so this is how rhythm of life comes up with a mind or with an idea that i developed way back when i was still a kid on what i can do to contribute towards the well-being or the total transformation of the red light districts
1: and how has your journey with rhythm of life been so far
0: my journey with rhythm of life has been so (laughs) so it's been amazing but it has also been so challenging i mean just like starting An organization at the age of 23 where people look at you and they simply despise you, or even waking up every single day and wondering how you're going to sustain the project, not only economically, but also socially with the human resource as people come in and and come out. So for me, my journey has been mixed feelings. We have had a number of successes, but we've also had a number of challenges that have got us back to the drawing board and ask ourselves several questions, but also aligning ourselves to the vision why. Rhythm of Life was started.
1: Will you want to tell me exactly what you do?
0: So, exactly what we do, we have several programs. Of course, Rhythm of Life exists to break the vicious cycle of mother daughter prostitution, as well as providing healthcare and economic empowerment opportunities to the, the male commercial sex workers. So, our programs are aligned around that. We have the Heart Tomorrow project that looks at educating the girl children the commercial sex workers daughters and this is in terms of formal education the normal schooling in high school primary up to the universities and also the hands-on skilling and this hands-on skilling is in terms of vocational training maybe in tailoring maybe in sewing maybe in bakery something that is going to give them a skill but at the end of the day give them a source of income then secondly is economic empowerment of course we know the biggest reason why most of these women or the girls end up in the same industry is to seek for money so economic empowerment comes on board to empower them economically to be independent financially strong to meet their family needs to take care of their children and you know be proud of what they are of what they are doing alongside the street business that they are doing so for this we have a number of success stories we have established salons, we have established boutiques we have established small restaurants and the bottom line here is how can this woman how can this girl be economically and financially independent to take care of herself and take care of the respective family then we have uh, the support meetings the support meetings are bi-monthly and these basically target commercial sex workers that are either pregnant or have mothers so this is an aspect of um, maternal and child health, right from, uh, you know, conception when she has uh, conceived, you know, going through the antenatal to delivery, to taking care of the baby and how do you take care of your, of, your, of yourself, so many challenges were around there and support meetings come on board. To help them in this way just like how it sounds we bring them together in support groups and they are able to help one another we at times bring uh, external trainers for instance the midwives have been very very key in uh, outlining how do you take care of yourself right from when you conceive when you give birth how do you take care of your baby because i mean the challenges of the commercial sex workers are totally different from the challenges of the normal of the normal woman or the normal mother we have cases where, you know, they are drugged or they take a lot of alcohol even as they are young mothers and they wake up when they have slept on their babies, like the baby is dead because she forgot she had a baby beside her and when she rolled on the bed, she, you know, killed her herself. So the challenges are really, really different. Some kids are given pilton and drugs to make them sleep a lot so that she can go back to the street and work. So this was very, very key in addressing this. Um, Then we have the role ambassadors, Rhythm of Life ambassadors, and we also stroke it as rhythmic voices. Of course, we know that Harriet or Sumaya or uh, Sharon that are working with Rhythm of Life may not be there for long. So we look at uh, a sustainable kind of model where we train or empower the, the girls in the red light districts to be the voices of their own selves, like, yes, this is our world, this is what we want to change. So it's an advocacy platform that uses online uh, platforms, that uses physical meetings, uh, that uses uh, collaborations and partnerships, but aligned strictly to girls that are their own voices. So it's a movement of revolutionaries that want to holistically change the red light districts then we are also we we have recently enrolled into establishing a sexual and reproductive health rights so of course you know how the effect of the global gang rule has been, especially on grassroots initiatives where women and girls can no longer access the sexual and reproductive health services, uh, the contraceptives, the femidoms, and all that. So, the SRHR hub is like an open avenue where the women and girls will come in, access the health services, access the SR services, and also empower themselves, you know, tell their own stories, share experiences. So, it's really like how it sounds a hub, it's going to be an avenue of different things that. But holistically empowering the woman with the psychosocial support and the health care. Then we also have the health outreaches. Health outreaches are one of the foundational activities we started with. Of course, uh, um, you know, like from time immemorial, the stigmatization and discrimination that is around commercial sex workers accessing health care we thought instead of them coming to the hospitals we would take the services to them so the health outreaches rolled out right from the day the treatment of life started we do monthly outreaches we go to the communities with all kinds of health services right from uh, hiv and aids testing to the treatment to the referrals to the stis to the children um, medication so we have a number of health workers that come on board for that particular field and yes, the cases that we cannot handle, we refer them to the nearby community hospitals. So that has been really, really key. And we thought this is one of the reasons why mothers like the mother of uh, Rested died. If she could not access the health services, we chose to take the health services to their communities and bridge the gap between the Israelite districts and the healthcare systems of Uganda. So yeah, basically that is who Rhythm of Life is and these are some of the programs that we we do.
1: Okay, and uh, how is the response of the girls and women to the offers you gave?
0: The girls and women that receive these services, first of all, they are really, really appreciative. I mean, some of the programs that Rhythm of Life brought on board were unique. It was not like, hey, go to the community hospital, go to the community clinic. We came to them. So for us, that was, you know... That was something that was really, really appreciated, even those that could not move, even those that were really, really sickly or whose children could not permit them to move. Bringing the services to the communities was always appreciated. Then Rhythm of Life took a uh, non-stigmatization or a non-judgmental approach. Yes, as much as we brought on board economic empowerment opportunities, we didn't point a finger at them like, hey, you are bad, you shouldn't be doing this, you should be doing that. No, we aligned our different programs and projects on ground, and it was always up to them to choose what they think is worth taking up and what is worth living out. So we felt the final decision has to come from the women as much as we bring different insights and different programs. So this has often been appreciated.
1: Rhythm of Life sounds like a really nice name. Tell me, how did you come up with the name?
0: Yeah, how we came up with Rhythm of Life as a name, that is also another common question that I have often had and I'm always happy to respond. One, (laughs) the disclaimer, one disclaimer is that we are not a band. So often, when people hear Rhythm of Life, they think it's a band or a song group and all that. No, 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 no. Rhythm of Life is a non governmental organization based in Uganda. But how did we come up with Rhythm of Life? Now, life itself has different dimensions, life itself has different dynamics. So there is that particular rhythm that keeps hitting. Of course, rhythm is kind of a beat, you know, like ta, ta, ta. So if the red light districts have been used to the rhythm of ta-ta-ta, the rhythm of life as an organization came on board to bring a different beat. If you've been listening to ta-ta-ta, we are now introducing maybe to-to-to or ya yeah, ya yeah, ya yeah, ya yeah, yeah. It was something that had to do with total change. You know, like we are bringing something different that has not been existing, but it is going to transform and holistically empower the communities. So that is the background of Rhythm of Life. It was a new rhythm that would change the lives of the people. So that's why we call it Rhythm of Life.
1: Okay, I see. What makes you different from other charities with the same focus?
0: What makes us different from the other charities that focus on the same one? We are beneficiary-centered. Yeah, from time immemorial we've always believed that we do nothing without, you know, that with and for us policies, So we have often put the beneficiaries at the forefront. And this has not only empowered us as an organization, but it has also given the beneficiaries a sense of belonging. So they know the project is theirs and they are part of it right from the designing phase to the implementation and the evaluation so this is very very key we didn't want to come in like what others have done we simply come in and you know it feels like they use and dump syndrome you know you come and take photos you take the videos you do what you do you get your funds and go no 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 no. we have been in these communities and we have earned this trust because we have been with them even when the funding is normal we are able to open up and tell them this is it we need to see how we can sustain the projects and yes they have come on board So we feel like this is more than even an organization. It's kind of a family. It's kind of a sense of belonging that, you know, they can easily reach out and we do all this together. And I think for us, the other thing that actually proved this was the COVID era. You don't you can't imagine how many calls would receive. I can't even have a meal. I can't even afford this. You know, just like how you call your mom or your aunt when you are in a fix or you need that urgent help. That is the same feeling that we have. We have had, and maybe the same trust that we have gained working in this community. Why? Because we have put the beneficiaries at the centre of every single programme and every single project that we, we have uh, brought on board.
1: In my research, I kind of sleep a lot with what you call the vicious cycle of mother-to-daughter prostitution. Could you explain a bit further what you are referring to?
0: The mother to daughter, mother to daughter prostitution, um, a bit about this, when I talk about the vicious cycle of mother to daughter prostitution, I mean, you know, like the story of Resta that I just uh, talked about, Resta was a daughter and when the mom died she had to follow into her mother's footsteps she had to do the same thing she had to do sex work just like how her mother was doing so that is basically what it means the bit of the vicious cycle that means it comes from the mother it goes to the daughter and yes the high chances that it will still come from the daughter and go to another daughter and go to another. so it becomes vicious it comes over and over again it, it goes around you know it goes around and comes around So basically, that is the bit that I refer to when I say the vicious cycle of mother to daughter prostitution.
1: How are the kids of these sex workers affected?
0: Uh, The kids of uh, the commercial sex workers are really, really affected. Actually, the new program that we are bringing on board this year is what we are calling the Child Center. You know, just like what I said, with the aspect of motherhood regarding the commercial sex workers, it's it's not like the issues that a normal mother faces. We know cases, we have encountered cases where a mother gives the child pilton. Pilton is kind of uh there's some tablets, so I don't know whether it's also a drug. They give to kids to sleep a lot so that they can go to work and come back. We have issues where others have been locked in the house and they got burnt in there. We have issues where other children uh you know watch and see everything that the mother does. You know, we also have breathless. It is the same place that you live in and the same place that you use for your business. So children are exposed to all this. So this really undermines the early childhood development of these children and they are really, really at risk. So the child center is going to look at that, how we can create a safe haven for these children. If Maybe she's going for work. Can it be an avenue where she can drop the kid when she's done, she can come and pick the child you know to ensure that they are really 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 safe and fine then even regarding the feeding i mean the the commercial sex workers are not so keen on what the children feed on you will be shocked to have a one year that is still given alcohol you know so the the the, the dynamics in which parenthood um, uh, appears in the red light districts is also another chapter that we need to look at and Rhythm of Life is strongly embarking on this to see how we can get support to make sure that the children of the commercial sex workers enjoy their childhood and they still come out as children regardless of the environment they've grown up in or regardless of the, the status of their of their parents.
1: We are talking all the time about sex workers but of course I don't really know how they live, what their worries are, how is the life of these women? I imagine it's difficult living, so to speak, on the wrong side of law and society, undergoing so many hardships.
0: It's difficult, yes, like you say. The fact that they are on the wrong side of the law and the wrong side of the society makes it even harder, because we all know that sex work in Uganda is illegal, so that means, even with offenses, there is no way the law is going to be siding with you. So you have low chances of being heard or, you know, reporting a case and it is addressed just by the virtue of your work. Then the society, society still stigmatizes them, still discriminates them. You know, we, we no longer have that inclusion in how we handle the commercial sex workers. So these are hardships they have to deal with every single day. Most of them don't even open up to what they do. Most of their family members don't even know what they do they simply change locations from one to the other to make sure that this is kept as a secret or this is not heard of or this is not seen so there that is a big issue and uh, it also affects us as an organization because we deal with a mobile target audience today she's in Kabalagala. tomorrow she's in Kansanga the following day she's in Kalangala because of all those you know kind of societal perceptions towards them that affect affect them
1: Throughout Uganda, sex work, though legal, is common. So I wonder, how is prostitution perceived in your country?
0: Yeah, in Uganda, sex work or prostitution is perceived as, you know, the worst thing that one can ever do. So we still struggle with with the societal uh, perception around sex work. Yet, even with the fact that it's legal, it's still common. It happens. We cannot deny the fact that it truly, really happens. So as a country, we are living in denial and we are living with uh, this stigmatized and sidelined target audience. You know, it's just like burying your head in the sand and you think that all is well. No, 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 it's not. So the perception is really, really wrong. The, perce- the perception, the attitude is very, very negative. That is what I can say. But um, ideally or unfortunately, it is still happening. And we cannot simply close our eyes or our ears towards what we hear and what, and what we see.
1: Stigma and high rates of HIV-AIDS among sex workers in Uganda highlight, at least for me, the need to understand further the reasons why people enter the profession, other than pure necessity. Do the women you work with give you a reason?
0: Yeah, sure. Like, um like mentioned earlier uh, most of the women that we work with will give you a pure answer this they, they always get into the sex work business because of money they have families to take care of and they don't have a sense uh a source of income uh we have others you know this is what i know i've seen my mother do it for all her lifetime i've seen my auntie do it so it seems like it's the only option for me i mean i can do this and i can earn from it then for others it still remains a clear source of income i mean i didn't go to school i stopped in p7 so i cannot uh be a computer towards my OG or sorry, old girl that went up to the university or even has a master's. So I have to get down to what I think I should be doing as a woman at this point. When you talk of business they will tell you, hey, I don't have any capital. The only capital that I have is my body and I'm trying to make use of it to get what I so majorly the major reason why people get into this profession is money to get some income, to support themselves, support their families and maybe get a better life.
1: Okay. Is there a lobby that operates behind the sex workers?
0: The lobby, the people that lobby behind the sex workers are there. And it's hard to fight them because the legal framework of Uganda regarding sex work or prostitution is not there. So it's hard to fight. Actually, it even feels like most of the stuff that we are doing is in the informal setting. So that's why even with advocacy, when you get to the level of maybe the Ministry of Gender and you're talking about the vulnerable women and vulnerable children, when you mention sex workers, they're not so much highlighted. Why? Because the legal framework around sex work in Uganda doesn't protect them so it's still a very very a very very big challenge
1: okay thanks to your work and persistence you managed to sign a contract with the hospital to create a health support system for sex workers how was the medical situation for sex workers before
0: cause signing a contract with the government hospital that's kcca was very was such a milestone it is something that we had chased for a number of years and finally when we signed this mou it felt like yeah we have gotten there and the situation for the commercial sex workers before this one they were not attending antenatal they would get pregnant and no one would go to the hospital they would never because of the stigmatization and the discrimination. So that meant even giving birth, they will use maybe traditional people that help in giving birth. They will not have any access to maybe what do you have to take care of, how do you have to take care of your child, how do you have to take care of yourself even after birth. You know, majorly their attitude towards attaining health care was very, very bad and they did not even want to hear about it. And when we got there, We introduced the referral cards and these referral cards were given to them, not even with names, simply their photo and the code because we wanted to protect their identities. So when this MOU was for they would simply present these cards and yes, the medical staff at the hospital would know this is a special target audience and they would give them the services without asking questions or filling in those long forms that expose them and make make them scared of going back for their... For the services. So uh, it was a big plus because even the hospital appreciated the turn up, they appreciated how. They've been able to handle this particular target audience, you know, a special one, a vulnerable one that they had non-prioritized. Then even the medical staff, we went ahead to train them in how you handle such a target audience. You know, the non-discrimination policies, the non-stigmatization attitude, all this has has been brought on board. And indeed, there has been great change and even the attitude towards accessing the health services has totally, has totally changed. So it's really, really encouraging.
1: Harriet, you are also empowering daughters of sex workers to become health workers. Are you going somewhere with this idea? Can you already notice changing mindsets?
0: Yeah, in the beginning, we actually started with uh, empowering daughters of sex workers to become health workers. But along the way, we felt like we are limiting them to only the health work industry. So we are now open to career advancement. I mean, it is more supporting you to achieve your dream, to achieve any career and, you know, have this kind of attitude. I am a daughter of a sex worker, so what? You know, I can achieve this, I can do this, I can go all the way, just like any other normal girl, just like any other person's girl or daughter. So this is what we are doing, and it's encouraging to know that others are now pursuing different careers The universities, others have become fashion designers, others have got into bakery, others have got... So, they, like, they are, they are all around, and it's really, really encouraging. Even at the organization, we have others that come you know, to support the work, those that have gone into social work and administration, you know, those that have gone into maybe the health, the health, health, in the health outreaches, the advice on, uh, on the procurements uh, regarding the support meetings and the health, the health outreaches. So it's really, really encouraging to know that they have opened their eyes to know that I can become something else other than a commercial sex worker, just like my mom or my auntie was.
1: There is an article in your blog where you talk about equity in health. What do you want to achieve? Why is this topic so important?
0: Yeah, actually, the equity in health, that is something that we wrote earlier still when we had just um, rolled out in Uganda. And for me, equity in health means, um, you know, access to health care with no stigmatization, with no discrimination, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you do, regardless of where you are. Because I know or I strongly believe that health is everyone's right you know, so this is a topic that remains very, very important, that even with the fact that we fight for equity in health, it has never been achieved. We still have clusters where maybe this particular audience gets these services, this audience gets these services. Yet we should be having equal services and maybe, and, you know, with no barriers, with no differences, we should be enjoying our right to health, regardless of the circumstances around us.
1: Empowering women is seen as one of the central issues in the process of sustainable development for many nations worldwide. You wrote in an article you published on the Youth for Policy, a joint initiative of the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung and the Centre of Development Alternatives, I quote, Women's empowerment isn't just a catchy slogan. What do you mean by that?
0: Women's empowerment isn't just a catchy slogan. And yes, I'll repeat the same. Women's is empowerment isn't just a catchy slogan. I mean that this is not something women's empowerment is not something we simply talk about. Hey, women's empowerment has spoiled our girls. Hey, women's empowerment has broken marriages. Hey, women. Is, no, no, no. It is not something we simply talk about and we live. We live there. This is a big deal. You know, I know what it means to see an empowered woman make the right decisions, make the right choices, have a timely program on what to do and when, have the right circles, have the right, you know, destinations in life, you know. So this thing goes along all the way, apart from simply saying ah this and this. It's not a catchy slogan. You know, it's not something we talk about maybe to get more funds or something we talk about because we want to feel like we are doing instrumental work in our communities, is empowerment, right from our families, right you know, among our friends, in our religious circles, in our political circles, women's empowerment is something that we cannot simply let go. This is something that we need for the economic development of our, of our nation, for the holistic transformation of our communities, for our family upbringing, for our legacy, You know, it is something that goes all the way. It is really, really broad. And we cannot simply deny it. We cannot simply close our eyes and we say we shall simply read about it in the newspapers and let go. Mm -mm. Everyone has a role to play in ensuring women's empowerment is at the forefront of our economic development. You, my dear listener, you and I have a role to play in achieving this in whatever sphere of influence that we are in.
1: Like many parts of the world, Uganda has imposed social restrictions to combat the spread of the coronavirus. For Ugandans who rely on sex work, it is a hard guideline. Do you know how they are coping with it?
0: Yeah, COVID-19 has actually hit us in different ways. We all have different, um, we all have different experiences, we all have different uh, scenarios of how COVID has hit us. And for Uganda, just like any other country, we've had hard guidelines. And for us, it's actually more on the informal sector. And the informal sector is where the commercial sex workers belong you know so for them this is why it has even come to a point of they hardly get what to eat because they can no longer work you know the social distancing aspect is a big one remember they live in slummy areas where there are so many and all this. so several police weeds will come on board and others will have to run away others will have to change locations so it's really really affecting them immensely and it's affecting their social lives their economic lives their emotional stability. It's such a big deal. And it is for this reason that we launched out the Food Basket campaign. We launched it in June 2020, where we've been doing local fundraising and getting food. Then we go and distribute in the red light districts. And I'm telling you, I have seen women cry in appreciation. There is a woman we get, who had a kid and we gave the kid milk. You know, the boy took milk like she, he was taking water. You know that thirst? And the woman said, you just don't know what you have done for me. I don't know how long I had taken without even having some milk for my baby. So this is how much, this is the magnitude of how COVID-19 has hit, has hit them.
1: So tell me something. Did you experience rejection from any sex worker when confronting them with the ideas of rhythm of life? How difficult is to collaborate with them?
0: Like often said, the commercial sex workers are a tricky target audience. Uh, very tricky, very complicated, but the bottom line is developing a clear relationship with them. You know, to know that you are there for them. You are here for their good, not for any selfish motives and all that. So for me, I've not found hardships collaborating with them because right from the start when we launched rhythm of Life in 2013 till dead, our vision has been clear and our journey has been well moved with them. So we are with them right from the beginning to the very, very end. Of course, in the beginning, I remember, of course, being a fellow woman going to the night streets to distribute the condoms and all that when you would go of course they don't see you uh, as a as a client so i had to bring some boys on board team members that were male and they really really simplified the work of the condom distribution because the attitude they would receive was like hey ah, maybe it's going to be a client he's going you know then the client has a different gospel they're preaching you need to be safe you need, need to make sure you protect yourself against hiv aids and stis you need this even with unwanted pregnancies so that is how it was in the beginning. But for now, we are good to go, even with the female team members. We are given the good reception because of how long we've been in there and how instrumental and transforming our activities have been in the red light district.
1: And what about achievements on the other side? Perspective rhythm of life might have brought to individuals of the red light district.
0: Yeah, we've had uh, several success stories um regarding our operations uh, in um, in majorly in Kabala Galama division. Of course, we've also had a number of women sign out of sex work and start their own businesses. I'll give an example of Sharifa. Sharifa was uh, joined rhythm of life when she was twenty three, and by that time, I think she had three kids. You know, every child with her own mother, and truthfully. She told us she was sick and tired of doing this, but she also didn't know how else she would be earning a source of income. So that's the same period we had uh, launched out the hairdressing project. We trained them in hairdressing, and Sheriff was one of them that was selected to have a saloon. Till now, Sheriff is earning from her salon, And even when she was asked, What do you think you should name a salon, she simply went, I want to name it Rhythm of Life, you know, Rhythm of Life, of course, with the with the local accent. So up to now, the Rhythm of Life Saloon is uh, is working. She's able to take care of her children. She's able to pay her rent, both at home and at the business. And we even use it as a training centre to, to train other girls that want to join the hairdressing project. So for us, these are some of the small milestones that uh, paint a smile on our faces and give us a reason to continue working in the red light district.
1: Yeah, That sounds great. How are you moving on? How are you scaling up?
0: Yeah, our scaling up, of course, uh, previously we are only in, in Kabbalagala Gala. We have now scaled up in Makinde Division and we're now scaling up in Wakiso where we're putting up the SRHR hub. But of course, even scaling up in our programs, for instance, uh, the food basket came up because of COVID. We thought we need to do a re-needs assessment. What uh, do our target audience need, especially at this time? And so that is how we periodically do the needs assessment. We do the evaluations to make sure that our programs still remain valid to our beneficiaries.
1: Harriet, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for this very personal conversation. I believe your work is very important and I'm sure this talk and your voice is giving hope to many people, especially women and girls in Kampala. Hopefully, it will also convince others to support, see and actively fight the discrimination that prostitution triggers.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure too. It's always a great opportunity not only to talk about Harriet as a person, but to talk about the amazing work of Rhythm of Life. And we are happy to say that we don't do this alone. We do this alone with other people uh, like the media, like uh, mentors, um, inspirers, like Sabre and Paul of Kantari, I mean, this was the first institute uh, that inspired me, that uh, pruned me, that, uh, you know, gave me the, 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 uh, the strength to go ahead and launch Rhythm of Life. It was after Kantari in India that I came back and launched Rhythm of Life. So for me, it has been a whole journey, and I cannot say I'm self-made, So many people have contributed towards this success that I cannot simply keep quiet about them. So thank you, everyone. Thank you to all friends of Rhythm of Life. Thank you to all partners, to all supporters, to all stakeholders of Rhythm of Life. Thank you so much for making all this happen. Thank you.
1: And there we are at the end of the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. My guest today, Harriet Kamashanyu. And dear listeners, if you'd like to know more about the work Harriet and her team are doing in Kabbalah Gala, or if you aim to support Rhythm of Life, please visit rhythmoflifeuganda.org. You'll find the stories of the Kantari alumni and the Giraffe heroes, the stories of people sticking their necks out every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, you don't have to look out for us, we'll be coming to you. Another thing. If there is a friend, an organization, a family member doing a great work on the community, someone sticking her his its necks out, just nominate this person or organization as a Giraffe Hero. To tell us about them, come and visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. My name is Jean-Pierre and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. But more importantly, I hope you join us again next week.
0: Stick Your Neck Out, the weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation.